Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 65. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 21st episode of season 3, Into the Lion's Den, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. Let's get started. Welcome back. Into the Lion's Den Part 2 begins where Part 1 left off. With Greza now breathing down Scorpius's neck, he tries to force John to work on the wormholes. When denied access to Talon, Krace makes a move that appears to betray them all, but actually gives him the ability to destroy the command carrier, Scorpius's research, and with it, both Talon and Krace. If you had told me when I first started watching Farscape, way back in Season 1, that I would be bawling at Crace's death, I would never have believed you. Because, you know, he has come so far, and this episode is like the culmination of three seasons worth of character development. And it is this amazing, terrible moment of the show when it all kind of pays off and we get this really redeeming moment for Crace. Yeah, I think that what's really good about this episode is to reflect on how far he's come and just his character growth because we've talked so much about Aaron and John's character growth and you know Dargo's a little bit but I think that most of Grace's has happened somewhat off screen and when we do see him on screen it's like he's a different person and then the rest of them have to struggle to deal with it so it almost feels like his character growth has been happening for the same three seasons that the rest of them have been but we've only been seeing like snippets of it it's like seeing it's like seeing pages from somebody's diary without reading the whole thing. So at the end of this episode, when you kind of see his end game and you see that in his heart, he's still Bylar Crace, you know, the guy from the first episode, but that he's changed his moral structure and his purpose and his life goals and what meaning, what's meaningful to him, that all of that has shifted. It just, it feels really, it feels really good to watch, you know? Yeah, because he's just had this incredible journey. And I don't want to excuse like all the terrible things Crace has done because he did some pretty terrible things in season one, Mm -hmm. you know, like murdering his second in command for knowing more than she should know. You know, that's kidnapping Talon, (laughs) kidnapping Talon, who is a baby, you know. But at the same time, I really respect that he has been given such an opportunity to go through this transformation. Because if you remember season one, Grace, we talked about this in our season one episodes. He was like falling to pieces after his brother died. His hair was unkempt. Personal hygiene went out the window. Sanity went out the window. And then he had this catharsis at the end of season one with the whole Scorpius deal in the Aurora chair with Aaron. And he kind of started to turn over this new leaf with his attachment to Talon. And we got to see little glimpses of that. As you said, the pages in the diary. And then season three, I feel like, is where it really took off, though, because we had that whole arc where he was part of the crew, part of Aaron and John's story with Rigel and Stark over on Talon. And I don't know, it's just it's just is really good that this season pays off all of that with this really excellent, I don't know, redemption of Grace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a redemption, but where he really comes into his own as a character as part of this story. Yeah. Well, because all along, John has been accusing Crace of kind of his own motives, of having his own motives for helping them. And Crace does have some really good lines throughout this whole episode about kind of like, I'm not alone in the universe about being motivated by my own purposes. But also, you begin to realize that 
he's really decided that in the wake of losing his brother, losing his military career, losing his value as a peacekeeper, that the thing he's held on to and the thing he now values is Talon. And so I think that when Scorpius threatens Talon, I think that that's really when Crace begins his endgame. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that was yeah. like a that was not a good move on Scorpius's part, essentially. I think the first time watching, I was watching the way that John currently is like John is kind of constantly doubting Crace, never trusting him, always thinking he's got something up his sleeve. And then on this rewatch, I'm watching more as Aaron, where Aaron kind of has seen his growth because she knew where he started. And so Aaron is kind of seeing the bigger picture, Grace, and trusting him a little bit more because she realizes that in a lot of ways, he and she are similar in terms of their upbringing, mm-hmm. in terms of their morals, in terms of what they hold valuable. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting because definitely the first time I was rewatching this, I was like, oh, what's Grace going to pull? Like, he's got something <laughs> up his sleeve. He's evil. And then this time around, I'm like, Aaron, where I'm like holding my like, I'm like I've got my hands up on my mouth and I'm like, no, Grace, no. <laughs> I really like the way you put that because I think that's been my reaction as well. Because I always remember, I, like, I never, I was with John Crichton the whole time. What's Grace going to pull next? I could never fully trust him on the first watch because he has changed sides, you know, and he's double crossed and all that, all that sort of thing. And it's just like, can you really trust that person who did, you know, so much trauma to John the first se- season where he's chasing him and not believing him and just causing all this misery for them all? And, and yet here we are. And yeah, Aaron has always had a little bit more faith in him. She has always been that little bit more, hey, I know where he's coming from. I think I get it kind of situation because of their shared background. And kind of they have a very similar journey in some ways of leaving the peacekeepers and coming to peace with that. So yeah, I really like I like that framing of it. So this episode is, is actually plot wise, very straightforward. They say in the first scene, we're going to blow up the command carrier. And at the end of the episode, the command carrier is blown up. I want to play one of the first scenes where where the whole group is discussing. And partly because it's a way to get Gianna and Dargo in there. Because they don't get a whole lot of time in this episode. And this is what they're planning to do. And wow, we're kind of crazy for trying to do this. Blow up the command carrier? The entire command carrier? All of Scorpy's data is on this ship. He's retroed the entire damn hull into a repeater necessary to stabilize a wormhole. This boat is the Peacekeeper Wormhole Project. But this carrier's huge, over a metro long. Is it possible to blow the whole ship? It's armed to the teeth. We can blow the munitions store. How we can stick a banana in the tailpipe. I do not care how we do it, but we do it. There are over 50,000 men, women, and children aboard this ship. Then we find a way to get them off before we blow it up. John, there's no way. Is this not what we came here to do? Christ, you commanded this ship. Can we destroy it? It's possible. I'll need to see the specs on any modifications score pieces made and any redistribution of power and fuel since I was in command. Good. We have a start, and we will find a way to get the people off. Guys, we can do that. 
this. And we have to try. I did see what the Scarrans were able to do, even if by some <laughs> wild miracle I managed to regain my throne. I won't hold it for long if the peacekeepers have this technology. I know what horrible destruction wormholes can wreak. Nobody should wield such power. Nobody. So there we have kind of the stage of this episode set. They have to destroy the ship because it's part of the project. It's part of Scorpius's research and uh, technology that they're using to stabilize this wormhole that's outside the window. And what I really love about this exchange is, is like, you want us to do what now? And you have all these voices being like, this is a really big ask. I mean, this is 50,000 people, 50,000 peacekeepers aboard this ship. It's huge. And John doesn't even have a plan for it. He's just like, let's just blow up the, the arbory. And like, you know, is that really going to work? And I love what I really love about it is asking Kreis because it was his ship and like the knowledge that he has and is like giving a considered and a deliberative, okay, let me think about this. Get me some specs. We'll see what we can work up. And I really, I really love that note of Crace's knowledge of it. Aaron worried about the people because she grew up on it. She knows these people, and and everyone else is just being like, "Uh, we're doing what now?" Yeah. Well, because when John walked into the room, the rest of them were talking about how, hey, with Graza here, we pretty much could just walk away from this, and the wormhole project will wither and die because Graza wants to shut it down. You know, and that's kind of mm -hmm. what's going on in the background is that the rest of them are thinking like, hey, we just walk away now because now there's somebody else's boot on Scorpius's neck and we don't have to worry about him. Whereas John now has a reaffirmation, what used to be really gray. He was actually considering helping Scorpius. Like, I think that that cannot be understated. He was very much considering helping Scorpius get the wormholes and then maybe trying to figure out where to go from there. And then Scorpius threatened Earth, which reframed the question for him and kind of clarified those gray waters. And now it's black and white again. And now it's Scorpius is going to attack Earth if I don't stop him. So I am going to stop him. Yeah. And the other thing that I like about this that we hear at the end there is is Rigel's voice. Rigel is the one where after John's trying to be pep talky and say, hey, we could do this, team. Rigel's the one who says, look, we've seen what the Scarens tried with when we were on Badamba with uh, Furlough, and that's a terrible power. Like, this weapon is not just going to be about the Scarens. It's like, once this genie is out of the bottle, you can't put it back in, and then the peacekeepers will use it against the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And I really love that voice of Rigel coming through here, because Rigel is usually the one who's like, okay, we should skedaddle. Wait, who's with me? Reno? Mm -hmm. And... And here he's the one who's advocating advocating for like, no, John's right. We actually have to follow through on this because this is the stakes that we're in, that are in play. Yeah. You bringing up Crace is also really important because last episode we kind of mentioned that they're using a lot of his knowledge to have 
this whole plan because John's plan initially was like wipe the data then it kind of became mess up the data then it kind of became run away you know so John has this like ever fluctuating plan and they are relying really heavily on Chris's knowledge in order to do any of this like they rely on his knowledge that there can't be any listening devices in the medical wing they rely on his knowledge of the ship and just here just they're thinking okay well Chris is going to know how to blow up the ship it used to be his you know and that used to be his is really key because I think that that's part of what drives Christ throughout this whole episode is this knowledge that Scorpius took away the one thing he had after his brother which was the peacekeepers you know he took away not just the peacekeepers but like his self-respect his rank everything he had worked for for his entire life Scorpius took it away and now Scorpius is taking away Talon which we'll get to in Mm -hmm. a minute but it's kind of if you look at it from that lens of like remembering that this used to be Crace's ship, that yeah. really that really clarifies a lot of his motivation throughout this whole episode. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. So next we have a little interlude with John and Harvey within his head. And as we mentioned last episode, that we're in that same headspace where they're in World War II. Beside a truck, it's black and white. Uh, they're wearing army gear. And I wanted to bring up this little scene, and this is where they discuss whether whether Scorpius really will follow through and destroy Earth if John does not deliver on the wormholes. And basically, <laughs> Harvey's conclusion is, uh, yeah, don't underestimate him. He's going to do what he's going to do for and get what he wants, right? But what's really visually interesting about it is they're playing games. So first, you have Harvey and John playing chess between them there's mortars going off all around them it's it's war war scenery but they're playing chess and harvey wins and john knocks his king over and then the conversation continues and it cuts down and they're playing checkers and and then john makes a bad move and harvey wins that game and then they're playing go fish and harvey is like do you have any threes and john gives up his threes but he doesn't get any sixes back so this progression of games from really complicated to really simplistic going on And John is losing every single one of them. And I think that speaks to John's mental state of of the the stakes that are involved. It's like he's been trying to play chess with with Scorpius, the real Scorpius, mentally. You know, this game that they're playing, this tension that we saw all in the previous episode. And he's not winning. Like, he feels like he's losing and is on his back foot. And then the next plan is checkers. And it's just like he keeps not winning even as the stakes are getting higher and and the game keeps changing on him. Yeah, I think that the changing game is a really good metaphor here because it started off, like we said, is very simple, you know, Scorpius versus John. And then it kind of became this bigger issue of like, okay, there's this all these other peacekeepers on this thing and, and all my friends are involved. And then now it's the universe is involved and there's Greza. And it feels like it feels like the more complicated it gets, the more desperate John has to get. And it does make me wonder what his plan was when he approached the others, because the others were all okay just going on board this command carrier with him. Like everybody went on board this command carrier with him. And I'm like, and it doesn't really seem like he had a plan. You know, this was not like a, this was not a well-planned mission. This was, I'm going to walk in, see what's the what, and then maybe make a mess. But it wasn't, it definitely wasn't as thought out as Nerve and hidden, you know, as the plan they had in Nerve or any other time they've actually had to come up with with a strike. Right. Well, I feel like that also just speaks to the desperation that they're feeling. Like this, 
they're going up against Scorpius, who has been hunting them for three seasons now, or two seasons now. And they have to do this. They have to try or else they can't live with themselves. And it, you know, goes back to the episode title, you know, Into the Lion's Den. They are, the, you know, the lambs to the slaughter. They're going in knowing it's probably going to turn out poorly, but they have to try just because the the stakes with the wormhole weapon are so high Mm -hmm. but yeah they don't don't i don't really feel like john has a plan even when he says blowing up the command carrier like stick a banana in the tailpipe right you know that kind of imagery he doesn't know how they're gonna do it he just knows that they have to try yeah and that's that's where they're at right now and that's where Crace comes in yeah and he's the one who actually formulates a plan and a way to execute it yeah, and the rest of them are are having experiences outside the John and Scorpius plotline. We're probably, we're mostly going to focus on John, Scorpius, and Crace because that's kind of the big stuff. But Erin does get a little resolution to her own plotline, which is that she is again in this fake Terra, you know, like fake planet training ground that the they use for training exercises and apparently when it's not being used for training exercises as used as like a recreation area for people and she sees this little girl that's being pushed down by two little boys and they're they're beating her up and Aaron scares them off and then she's talking to the little girl and she's having this interaction that's very friendly and very emotional where she's saying you know trying to give the little girl reassurance and right at that moment her friend comes along and tells Aaron not to make the girl soft. I think what's going on with Aaron throughout this whole episode is that Aaron is by no means soft, but she's also no longer in that headspace where she would have ignored a child, you know, being beaten up, you know, and thought like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, that's just, that will train her to be better, you know? Yeah. Well, she's learned how to how to navigate being strong and when it's necessary and when it's not necessary and how also softness can be a strength. I mean, think of Zan in one of the early episodes, you know, I think she has a line very similar to that in, uh, in uh, Throne for a Loss when she's talking with the boy that they've, she's taken off of the gauntlet is like, don't mistake softness for weakness. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. And I think that's what we're really seeing highlighted here with Aaron. And that's, I think, you know, speaks to credit to her and her journey. Like, as a peacekeeper, would she have thought much of sacrificing 50,000 people if it meant saving millions and millions of millions of people in the galaxy? She might not have. Mm-hmm. But here, she is a person who is like, we got to get these people off the ship. Like, we can't just kill them. Yeah. I mean, some of them are going to die, but they have to have the opportunity to flee. Yeah, that's a good point. I I like that comparison to Zan because I I definitely think that is where she's coming from because it's kind of the moral question of 50,000 people that would be a line that we hear coming out of Zan's mouth if Zan was still alive is kind of this the morality question of it. So Scorpius's next move after threatening Earth is to try and put even more pressure on John. Like he limits the crew's ability to move around the ship but mostly and this is i think where he missteps he limits crace's ability to t- to go to talon he said he has you know peacekeepers outside of talon and they they say you can't go you know you can't go into talon per scorpius's orders yeah it's a kind of a quiet confrontation in the space outside of, of talon in the hangar bay and crace then goes and meets up with lieutenant laurel who was his former friend, current spy, who he's, you know, was kissing last episode. And they have this kind of fraught conversation where he's like, you can tell that he's upset that he can't get on to Talon. 
and it's breaking him up inside. And Laurel tries to be reassuring and saying, oh, you know, maybe we go just go talk to Scorpius and maybe it'll work out. But Crace knows, like Crace knows I have to trade something for access to Talon. And at first it feels like, uh-oh, what is Crace going to do? And I'm going to play the clip that follows that because it is a pretty big uh-oh. You have something for me? Yes. I demand. Get him out of my Get him out of my sight! I demand that I suffer no repercussions for any of my actions during exile. I demand assurances that the Leviathan hybrid will be resurrected, that I will be leader of that project working alongside Lieutenant Laurel. Stop. Let him speak. You have something comparable, I assume. More than comparable. Any deal you strike with me may not prove enforceable once Commandant Grazer returns. If you delineate my requests in an executive order signed while you were still in command of this vessel, High Command must honor it, no matter what dishonor you may endure. I accept your terms. Release him. Scorpius, Crichton has no intention of helping you. He is determined that there is only one way to stop you and your experiments with finality. He is conspiring with some of Moya's crew to destroy this command carrier. Dun dun dun! Yep. So it appears that Crace has sold out the crew to Scorpius, and their plan is going to be stopped before it even gets off the ground. Mm-hmm. I think what I really like here is that once you know what happens to Crace, and, you know, spoiler, he hasn't actually sold them out. Well, he's pretending to have sold them out. He did sell them out, but it was for a reason. <laughs> um, I love all the qualifiers with that one. Yeah. Once you realize that, you realize that this moment is so key because he went in and he and he didn't say to Scorpius, hey, I have some information. Why don't you give me what I want? He starts making demands. And by making those demands, Scorpius knows he has something to trade, you know. And so it's kind of just him relying on Scorpius's own perception, but also him relying on Scorpius's pride a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. Scorpius likes to be the one that figures things out. He likes to be the smartest man in the room. And also, again, Braca here is silent, but the actor, you got to give him credit because he's this whole time is, as Crace is being led away in chains. You know, you can tell Braca is like really excited. He's like, yes, my former commander gets to be in chains again. And then he's like, and then as soon as Scorpius buys into it, Braca's like, ah, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Braca, he can't win. If you've seen the episode before and, you know, you've seen the episode, it's like at this point, he already knows what the end is going to be. Mm -hmm. He knows what plan he is setting up because he knows it's the only one that could work. And that is his self-sacrifice and talent self-sacrifice. And I love that he comes in and demands because it makes it makes Scorpius pay attention to him. Mm -hmm. And that's how he's getting Scorpius attention. He's like, I need to have my record cleared. I need to have all this stuff taken care of. I want to be back on talent. And that's the other thing. It's like, that's the demand he makes. I need to be 
back on Talon. And that is something that Scorpius knows that Kreis wants, right? That has been his motivator for the last two seasons. And that's kind of what's kept him out of out of trouble is being with Talon. I like your point about Kreis already knowing his end game. Because then that means that at this point, he's talking about his own death and he's doing it so calmly. And I think the reason he knows the end game is because he knows that if the ship blows up and the ship has going to blow up soon because they don't know when Kre- when Greza is going to come back. So if they actually do this, there is zero chance of Talon being healed because mm-hmm. later on we find out that, you know, they've already taken most of Talon's weaponry off of him. So at this point he is a, you know, lobotomized child with no weaponry and Crace has still having minimal control over him. So he realizes that for for Talon, this is the end either way, that he's not going to be on Talon and he's not going to be able to set Talon free. So instead, all he can really offer is is this a death that means something. Yeah. Is that their death can mean something together. Mm -hmm. So Scorpius goes right into action. The Moya crew is arrested. So that's Jewel, Dargo, Chiana and Rigel. And they're put into a holding cell. And Scorpius confronts Crichton with Crace by his side, and and John doesn't know this is going down. So he like lunges and attacks Crace once he realizes that Crace sold them out, and then he gets pulled off by the peacekeepers. And you know the ultimatum that Scorpius hisses into his ear is, "Hey, if Greza might let the others live and just serve out their sentences as prisoners, but." I will make sure they die if you do not do the wormholes for me now that I have thwarted your plot. Like, now you are fighting for the survival of your friends. It, they're going to be in prison, but they at least won't be dead. Mm-hmm. So John is understandably pissed off. And then he gets a message from Aaron to come meet them in another surveillance-free place on the ship. So this is going to be one of our longer quotes, so just kind of hang in there. But I think it's also one of the most important of the episode. You wanted to see me? Nope, stop it. It's safe to talk here and you need to hear this. I need to kick his ass. He sold us out. You can't destroy the ship by simply throwing a few switches. So you set him up? No, Crichton, I did not. I needed the distraction so that Scorpius would believe that the plot against him had failed. I kept Aaron safe because I need her. You should come up with a newer line. And you should listen to him now. All that I have cared for have gone. My parents are taken away from me, my brother dead. So now, I live, I plan, I do, all in the service of my own interests. In that, I believe I am not unique in the universe. Snap this up, I gotta get back. Despite all of this, I understand the power of the technology that Scorpius is attempting to harness. I understand the horror that will wash over this galaxy if anyone wields this weapon. And last of all, I now know that I am the only individual capable of stopping it. Have fun. Listen, we are all on the same team. We all want this ship destroyed. And the only way to do that is with Talon. Grace is proposing that he and Talon starburst while still inside the command carrier hangar. The carrier will collapse upon itself. Outer decks first. Central core last. It will take at least half an hour for the ship to fully implode. Giving the crew time to pen ship. 
Not yet. Cargo and the others are probably in a holding cell and I can find them. Where do we meet up with you and Talon? You don't. Starburst in a confined space where the energy can't dissipate. Will be the hero's death that Talon deserves. You're gonna die. I will need a uh, significant distraction to keep Scorpius occupied. Grace. Note there that Crace says the hero's death that Talon deserves. Because Crace here is explicitly calling out that he's serving his own purposes here. And I think in some ways, part of what he's realizing here is that there's there's no there's nothing else for him. He's either going to spend the rest of his life on the run from the peacekeepers or imprisoned by the peacekeepers or quickly killed. And so he's figuring out what's important to him and what's important to him is Talon and giving Talon an ending that is not Talon becoming a peacekeeper experiment, Talon becoming, you know, an, another peacekeeper prisoner himself. I, I don't know. I find this this whole thing very meaningful and it really, it changes how you see Crace, I think, over the past couple of episodes and even the past three seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and not just saving Talon from the peacekeepers, but saving Talon from himself. Like, because if he is decommissioned and lobotomized, they've only taken the mech parts, I think, so far, but once he has the personality mm-hmm. overhaul done, he's not going to be Talon anymore. And that's the kid that, that Ta- Krace loves, right? And he's losing Talon, whether or not Talon survives the procedures and whether or not Crace survives being able to see him again, you know, that's, that's all this stuff, but Talon will be forever changed. And so this is a death he can give Talon as Talon is mm-hmm. and save him from himself, save him from the peacekeepers and all of that. And I think for me, this is the moment when he says, you know, you're not, we're not going to meet up again. I'm, I'm going to die. You know, he doesn't say that, but that John says that a moment later and you can see the shift in John's perception too, of what, Crace is doing here. He's like, you're going to do the actual suicide run. This is not their first suicide run as a team, but this one does not have an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, like the gamut base at the end of season one that had an exit strategy. It was a long shot. They pulled it off, sort of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, th- this one does not have an exit strategy. And I think, I think that garners some respect from John or at least the willingness to work with it. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the scene I really like is the dynamic you can hear between Aaron and John. Because Aaron's the one who says, hey, come over here, we need to talk. And she's the one who prevents John from beating up Crace. And she is the one that he turns to to evaluate what Crace is saying. He's like, do you believe him? Mm-hmm. I will trust you if you believe him that he is sincere in what he's doing here. And given all the difficulties that these two have had the past couple episodes since they've been reunited, I think that speaks again to their partnership and their trust in each other when they're working a job and there's still the fundamental trust they have in each other and belief they have in each other that still exists you know despite all the chaos and the drama that they've had to go through with Talon John's death yeah 
So the other thing that I think Chris has really been lacking, and I think maybe something he comes upon when he's here, is that when he was a peacekeeper, he had this real sense of purpose. As many problems as he clearly had with the peacekeepers, what with them kidnapping him and his brother as young children and, you know, molding them into, you know, soldiers. I I think that Chris, Chris's purpose really has been talent. And then now he has the secondary purpose, which is he's seeing the larger picture that I think even John and Aaron don't necessarily see the full fullness of because Chris was a high level military commander. And so he knows how the peacekeepers work and he knows exactly what will happen if they get their hands on wormhole technology. So I really love here that it's him that's calling out the horror of it. And it's not John or Aaron or any of the other characters that were used to being like, oh, wormholes are bad, you know, because you know, both Rigel and Crace in the past couple of episodes have been the ones, or in this episode, have been the ones to say the peacekeepers cannot have wormholes. No one can have this weapon. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the two people who are who have a past of abusing power know just how far that power could be abused. Mm. You know, because I don't have any illusions that Rigel was necessarily a kind dominator. I don't think he was sadistic, but you know. He's very self-centered. He would get the job done and sacrifice people. And Kreis is a military commander, a captain on a peacekeeper. Command carrier certainly did the same thing. Certainly we've seen him do the same thing. And so they know how far people who have an agenda will go and what lengths they will go to and what lines they will cross. And I think the others do have kind of an understanding of part of that. But but. You know, there's that still that shield of being somewhat in ignorance, mm-hmm. whereas there's no ignorance when it comes to Rigel or Crace right here, especially of like, no, this will be as bad as you think it will be. In fact, it'll be worse than you think it will be. Yeah, that's a good point. If wormhole technology had existed, Crace and Rigel would have been exactly the sort of people that would have operated it and would have been in control of it. So they both know this is bad and it shouldn't be in anybody's hands. Yeah. So John goes back to play his part. And one of the things that's been happening a little bit last episode and a lot this episode is that when John is not paying attention, his subconscious is writing wormhole equations and it's writing them all over his skin, really. And I think the thing I like about that is partially that John went crazy because of Scorpius, because of the neural clone last season. And here it is again, his conscious, he's he's really just tiptoeing that line of sanity and insanity. And also by writing it on his skin, it really feels like this thing that has consumed his life, wormholes, is actually being expressed outwards. You know, it feels almost like it feels almost like in some ways, you know, when when people are are depressed or upset and they start cutting and it's a way of kind of like externalizing this internal pain that they feel. And that's a little bit how I feel with these markings on him is like this worm. These wormholes have just become all of who he is. His entire mm-hmm. self is these wormholes at this point, And he's just expressing them on his skin. I don't know. I, I think it's just well done. Yeah. It is well done. And I think what I love about it too is it's kind of beautiful because the he's using the notation of, you know, it's not earth numbers or anything. It's it's ancient numbers or or the ones for this part of the galaxy. So it's really beautiful flowing script and it's like tattooing himself. And I really like that idea that he's now embodying the wormholes because he, he keeps getting distracted and Kokoro will come up to him, the, the 
peacekeeper scientists and say, oh, look, you've solved this problem. And he's really excited. And John's just kind of like, you know, out of a daze and being like, did I do that? I don't remember doing that. But but he has been doing that. Mm-hmm. So he's been working on the wormholes and he has to now come up with a distraction for Crace. And he comes up with a really, really good distraction. He gets permission to go over to Moya to get his module. And there's actually a really touching moment that I want to get to before we move on to the distraction part where John tells Pilot and Moya what's going on. Um, that, that what the plan is. So while the peacekeepers are with the module, he's in the den speaking one-on-one with Pilot. And I'm just going to play it. It's pretty short, and it's really touching. Moya understands. She says it is best this way. Talon was always destined for a violent end. This then at least would be a noble one. We may never see any of you again. Pilot. Just be ready to starburst if you don't see us hauling ass toward you. You give Moya my love. And her love to you. As well as mine. And John right there, he's like caressing Pilot's shell and he's touching his face. And in some ways, this feels almost like like the physical contact and the sensitive goodbye that John isn't going to be able to get with Aaron. Because, I mean, and also it does have to do with his deep relationship with both Pilot and Moya and the fact that Pilot is like an adorable cinnamon bun and like, (laughs) I love you forever, Pilot. Um, Really? Yeah. But... I, I, I don't know. I, I think that for me, this really felt like this, this really felt like physical contact that John needed. Like nobody has really touched him in a really long time since Aaron has left. Mm-hmm. And it felt very sensitive. Yeah. And very intimate, too, because they're doing that the forehead touch, too, at the very end. And this is where having puppets instead of CGI really pays off because you could you can't replicate this kind of tactility with computer generated imagery. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's really touching for me because it's also the outward expression of, you know, Pilot and Moya saying, yeah, we love you, too, like out loud, Mm -hmm. you know, and John saying, hey, we love you. And I know this is terrible and kind of understanding like this is again with Crace's understanding that this is a way to give Talon a rest that is worthy of who he could have been, you know? Yeah. And it's just this really compassionate moment between them all. And I really like that you say that John hasn't had that kind of contact and touch with people because he keeps saying, don't touch me. And especially in the last couple episodes where Scorpius has tried to touch him and he's like, oh, hell no, you're not going to touch me. And he jerks away. He even jerks away from Aaron a couple of times. And mostly she's trying to prevent him from killing Grace. But the point stands is <laughs> like he's being very standoffish and not just for others reaching out to him, but him not reaching out to others. And here you can see him reaching out to Pilot and Moya because those are the only folks he can talk to at the moment safely. Mm-hmm. So John convinces, kind of by calling Scorpius a chicken, to <laughs> that Scorpius should go out in this wormhole that the command carrier has created. Because I guess the issue is that the, they can create wormholes, but anybody that goes through the wormhole liquefies. So right. 
John, you know, takes Scorpius out. And it's this amazing moment because the entire crew, everybody in this entire crew is completely still. And they're all listening to the audio of Scorpius going through the wormhole. And it reminded me a lot of like the moon landing or something like just everything, everything on this command carrier stops, which allows Mm -hmm. Crace and Aaron to get their plan in place to take back Talon. Yeah, it's exactly. I was going to make the same comment. Like, have you ever seen Apollo 13 or the right stuff or anything like that, where you just have everybody listening to the comms chatter of the astronauts live? That's exactly what it is. Like, you have peacekeepers walking through the hallways who are just stopped, and they're just looking up at the speakers on the walls, listening to this momentous thing where where John and his module or his module can protect them from the wormhole and he and Scorpius are going through it and there's some turbulence and this little tense and Kokura can't raise them. So there's a little bit of drama going on. And then you also have, you know, them coming back on the line and saying, Hey, you know, we're safe now going through. And it's just, it's like, you know, it's the first time something that this daring has been done. And you can tell when, when John is inviting Scorpius to come along that Scorpius wants to be blase about it, but he's totally not. Yeah. Like he really wants to go see what a wormhole looks like on the inside. He's got this look on his face. It's just like, yeah. So yeah. So calling him chicken, I think in any other circumstance, you know, Scorpius would roll his eyes, you know, with enough self-possession and secure enough in himself that doesn't, wouldn't matter. But he actually really does want to go see the wormhole. I think that the other thing about that is during the wormhole, during the wormhole, Scorpius kind of says, I've never felt more connected. You know, this is this is almost a religious moment for Scorpius, the thing he's been chasing for so long. And now he sees it and he's almost could reach out and touch it. It's Scorpius being deeply honest in a way that I just don't think he either intends to be or usually is. And yet John here understands that he is doing this for a purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. he's doing this to keep Scorpius and the rest of the command carrier distracted for as long as possible. And I I don't know, it, it was an interesting moment just because of the dual purposes that were going on there. Yeah, and at the same time, though, I still get the sense that you know there's this kinship between John and Scorpius because of the wormholes, because mm-hmm. John has gone through this kind of awe. You know, he's been doing this research. He's been getting distracted while working for Scorpius, while it unlocks in his brain and is coming together, and he's starting to see all the pieces that he can't quite fit together, but he's getting there with the subconscious guidance. And, you know, he's he's his justification to Scorpius is this module protects me for a reason, and I'm starting to figure out why I want to go test it out. But he never explains what that reason is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's still just uh, an intuition. We talked about last episode how, how Into the Lion's Den sets up John and Scorpius on equal footing and there's almost this you know this negotiation of a a relationship that's more than just enemies and I think you're seeing that here where there's Scorpius opening up and being honest with John about his feelings about wormholes even if it's just for a moment and it kind of goes back to last episode where he says hey this is my past I want you to understand me so you know what's at stake here and so there's this this reaching for connection between the two of them and especially on Scorpius's behalf with John, even though he doesn't fully trust him. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. he has contingency plans for forcing John to do what he wants. It makes their relationship much more complicated. Yeah. It's not strict enemies. It's not black and white. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Crace and Aaron, they've gone to Talon's hangar. They've taken out the peacekeeper that was saying, hey, I, I've now been given orders to shoot you if you try and come back on Talon. And they have a... A really warrior goodbye, 
you know, they have a moment of... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, like, heartbreaking. So the visual on this is incredible. It's this big hangar, and you have the two of them kind of wide view of them kind of standing almost in silhouette because it's dark, and Aaron reaches up and holds Crace's face and just stares at him for a minute, and there's this, like, you can see all this unspoken stuff between them, passing between them, and she says, now you have to go. And that's it. And she pats him on the cheek and she leaves. And it's just, oh my God, the two of them, such intensity. Mm -hmm. They really sell this because I think to the two of them just have this such kinship. And they've had, I think, I think that since Aaron has been on Talon, they've had a real connection in terms of them both being peacekeepers together. And, and yeah, in the in season two, Chris was kind of trying to use it as like a you should come on Talon and, you know, be with me and we can be peacekeeper married. But I think that in season three, it's really just two warriors getting to know each other kind of thing. At least that's the feeling yeah. I had from this moment is is it's two people who have a deeply unspoken connection that are kind of like, OK, this is it. Goodbye. You know? Yeah. And and I think there's respect in there too. Mm-hmm. You know, she's respecting what he's doing right now, and she she understands why he's doing it. And because she's also the other other crew member that has the deepest connection to Talon, mm-hmm. and she understands the bond that Crace has with Talon. Because remember, she gave up that bond in uh, Green Eyed Monster mm-hmm. when she had the opportunity to deepen it, and she had that connection to Talon for a while. But she gave it up for John. She's like, John Crichton is more important to me than Talon. And so she understands the connection there and how deep it is and how deep it could be. But it's not the choice that she made. Yeah. And so I think she's respecting Crace and his choices and his choice to stay with Talon and and do this. Yeah. So I want to play the next clip, which is Crace talking to Talon and letting him know that this is their swan song. Yes, Talon. I'm here. No need to be afraid. Talon. The firing mechanism on your cannon was taken from you by the peacekeepers. The rest been captured and Moya Moya will soon be enslaved unless we do something something radical you and I together so this is really Grace making his case to Talon and this is him treating Talon somewhat as a child because, you know, phrasing it as the peacekeepers have taken this kind of <laughs> is like a little bit is a little bit misleading. But at the same time, he's telling Talon the facts. The situation is dire and Crace, who's, you know, a consummate strategizer, the only solution he sees is for them to commit suicide and save everybody else. Mm hmm. What I love about this scene is it's it's dark inside Talon. It's quiet. Crace is crouching. 
and it's it's very intimate also just the whole feeling of the scene between the two of them and you can hear the little bits of talon's bubbly light noises that mean he's listening and it's just Crace saying together like i'm here with you mm-hmm. you don't have to be afraid it's like that scene in uh Yanch when they shut talon down it's like I'm here with you. I'm proud of you. I love you. That's that same feeling. And then we're going to do this together. You're not going to be alone anymore. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it just makes me tear up a little bit. Because it's too much. It's so, it's, you know, I think that if Chris really was as selfish as I thought he was the first time watching, there's no way he would have been with Talon in this moment. You know, because mm-hmm. you can, I, I think... Talon is self-sufficient enough that I'm sure he could have initiated Starburst on his own. You know, they could have just said, you need to initiate Starburst and run away. But Krace is there with him. He realizes his Mm -hmm. culpability in it. And I think in the next quote we play, we're also going to find out a little bit of his purpose in staying behind. And the other thing I want to mention real quick is that spy that was his ex-lover, he actually shuns her right before this. You know, he's walking down the hallway and she's talking to him. She's like, I can see you're planning something against Scorpius. And you can tell she wants the information. And he just turns to her and he's like, you know, if you know that, you should tell Scorpius. And also, by the way, tell Scorpius to send somebody I actually care about next time. Which (laughs) you can kind of tell is him pushing her away for her own good. Yeah, he's also in public in the hallway. And so he's making a scene. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so he's, it feels like he's playing to the audience. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he has real feelings for her, he's not going to let them get in the way of what he has to do. Yeah. So we're going to play the next bit, which is after Scorpius and John have come back to the ship. And while they're listening to this, John is actually sitting on the nose of his module. And Scorpius is in the, he's about to go analyze the wormhole data. And so that's kind of going on in the background. And John is just watching Scorpius this entire time. It's great. Also, it'll break your heart. Yeah. You haven't got your wormhole legs yet. Don't worry. First time is the worst. Scorpius. I am just making my final goodbyes. Where are you, Grace? I am standing in your heart. And I am about to squeeze. Braga, find the source of this transmission and arrest that fool. It's coming from the hybrid in the gamma hangar on level 12. The hybrid's powering up. You are the most repellent. You weren't born into peacekeepers. You weren't conscripted against your will. You chose to be one. I want the Beidou sealed. All prowlers scrambled. That hybrid must not get away. The hybrid's building to maximum power inside the hangar. I don't think he's planning to escape. The last time I left this ship, my ship, I did so under a veil of secrecy. You forced that situation. You took away my command. You stole my life from me. Well, this time, Scorpius. I am not leaving quietly. Somebody find that fool! 
and get him out of that ship! dies and the ship goes into explosions and oh my gosh the god Lenny Tupu is amazing it like incredible this whole scene and there's the two lines you know I am in your heart and I am prepared to squeeze and then Talon Starburst and it just oh oh my heart breaks on those two yeah well and also I just like that moment you know the I'm about to squeeze and you know defining his he's saying I'm in your heart and I think that that kind of gets at what he talks about later, where he's talking about how Scorpius stole everything from him, that Chris already had nothing. You know, he lost his brother, he lost his family, and then Scorpius took the only thing he had left, which was his command. And so that's, I think, why he's defining it as Scorpius's heart, because Scorpius, in a lot of ways, also is very much defined by his relationship to the peacekeepers. You know, he's very much defined yeah. by rejecting his scare in half and aligning with his peace, with his sedation side. And so in taking away this command carrier, Grace knows that there's no coming back for Scorpius from that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and taking away the command carrier is taking away his life's work, which is to defeat the Scarens through wormhole technology. Yeah, that's that's really apt. And I think the other thing I like about this is there's this transition moment where they don't want Crace to run away and take Talon with them. You know, they're like, make sure there's prowlers scrambled and and we're going to we're gonna capture them again. But then Brack is like uh, he's powering up, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's that realization that, wait, he's, he's powering up within the ship. He's going to explode the ship. And then you have John who's just been staring dead eye at Scorpius this entire time. And Scorpius has kind of been noticing. And then he realizes that John knows what's happening. And like the whole thing kind of clicks in Scorpius's head. And it's a really nice moment of, oh shit, I was played. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's just, it's just so poignant and all these things coming together and I don't know, it's it's devastating in a lot of ways. I'm gonna put this out there. I think Crace makes like the best speeches of anybody. Like in this <laughs> honestly, I'm being serious here. Like I'm remembering back when he, he's, you know, with the with the Scarin carrier where he, you know, went all full peacekeeper, you know, like that was a good speech and then this is a good speech. And I, I think he has another one at some point that was like legit good you know mm -hmm. yeah i could buy that a little bit of maybe classic education somewhere if you like to read it all yeah <laughs> i don't know but it's so poetic you know and i think that's what catches and i think that shows how well this episode is written also mm -hmm. it's like they really understand how to make this moment really big and really powerful and really a payoff for Crace as a character for this episode for this plot arc that's happening which is destroying the command carrier by giving that 
moment to Crace and Talon, as mm-hmm. opposed to John Crichton, who could have, I don't know, exploded a munitions bay or something. You know, it's just yeah. like the grandeur of it is perfect for what they're accomplishing storytelling wise with the scope of this episode yeah and like like i said back last episode i think that this moment really redefines the past two episodes as being crace episodes mm-hmm. these are yeah it's still the john and scorpius you know they're the dance that they're doing with each other but at the same time this really is crace's moment yeah and it also highlights the sacrifice required mm-hmm. for this kind of stakes because the stakes are the galaxy, and Rigel's articulated it, Kreis has articulated it, and now this is the price that they have to pay in order to prevent that from happening. Yeah. And I think that we haven't really appreciated that so f- until this moment, that stopping wormholes from falling into the bad guy's hands has required an incredible price from our crew. At first, Talon John died, and now Kreis and Talon have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... What ends up happening for the rest of the episode pretty much is everybody trying to escape, lots of escape pods. Aaron goes and rescues the rest of the crew that was in a prison. She has a face-off with her ex-friend who is going to shoot her, but then, you know, by coincidence gets exploded. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that didn't didn't feel as, like, emotionally... that, That was not as good an emotional beat as they had in the rest of this episode, I think. Yeah. Dargo gets a little moment to shine where he's like, pilot, we need a ship. And so he basically voice commands his his Luxon ship to come rescue him and the girls and Rigel. Aaron is meanwhile gone, gra- grabbed herself a prowler. And yay, she finally gets her own ship again. I know she gets a prowler again. And, you know, she she's gonna have a mode of transportation once more. And then there's this really cool imagery going on with the destruction of the ship. It's not just fires and explosion, but, you know, that that training terrain had a lake in it and there's obviously water stores on the ship because they need to drink water where scorpius is actually floods and Mm -hmm. i just thought that was a really interesting choice of you have this disaster happening but it's not fire that comes in at the end not entirely fire it's also water it's just like this total destruction of the command carrier of all these different elements and also that moment where he scorpius ends up standing on these stairs and he's like there's this water flowing past him and it's almost exactly the same feeling and and cinematography as you get as from scorpius's introduction at at the gamut base where you know scorpius is standing on the stairs in that case and he's like kind of surveying everything and everything goes quiet and here again, he's standing on the stairs and he's surveying his kingdom, which is now turning to ash around him. So it's really mm-hmm. a it's a good parallel from like the Scorpius we met at the very beginning of his arc, you know, completely in control, cold, calculating, everybody is afraid of him, to this moment of complete chaos, you know? Mm-hmm. And actually he he is a good command well, I mean he Scorpius, so I don't want to say he's a good commander, but you know, he does go back to his quarters and the one the reason he wants to go back is to make an all call to the ship that everybody should be abandoning it, which I mean everybody already yeah. was, but you know. But he's making it formal that there's evacuation procedures underway. Yeah, and he's calm in the midst of the storm around him, 
like he's just standing there. I really like that callback to his introduction. And while all this chaos is going on, you have this incredible music score going on, which has like organs, and then you get choral voices, and it's like this death knell, this funeral march for the command carrier and for <laughs> Scorpius's hopes and dreams, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just gorgeous paired with this really intense imagery of this crumbling command carrier around them and this absolute destruction that's happening. Yeah, yeah. So then Scorpius and John get their final goodbyes. John is at his module and Scorpius is across from him. They have an interesting conversation and we're going to play it. Looks like our partnership is over. John Crichton. Commander John Crichton. Generations will know that name. Because of you, very soon. The Scannons will destroy us. One evil at a time. That's the best I can do. Tell me, Gandhi, you still going after Earth? To what purpose? Vengeance against you? The only vengeance I cared about is no longer within my grasp. While holding two lights, depress 317. Then release. Hold two. Press 911. Bitter enemies letting each other go at the end. Mm -hmm. The number combinations was them releasing their Ayanch bracelets from each other. And I love that John's was 911. (laughs) (laughs) But what I find really touching and really speaking to this new relationship between John and Scorpius is the last thing that John says in this exchange right here is we were so close. They were so close to getting wormholes. And it's like sharing that this discovery between the two of them was something they were working toward and scientifically they both wanted it and even though john prevented it from happening there's this kind of kinship of we almost had it you know Mm -hmm. and i don't know there's something in there that just resonates with me with that whole moment that scorpius had earlier that we talked about with like being really touched and connected to the wormholes so yeah yeah it's good it's a good moment and i think that it's really a closing in this specific chapter of their relationship mm-hmm. because it also ends with John saying, you know, if we're going to go, we better go now. And Scorpius is like, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. And so it really is this kind of closing of this chapter because both of them now have bigger enemies and more problems on the horizon. The other thing about that moment is that Scorpius could have taken that moment to kill him, you know, or mm-hmm. attack him. And he just doesn't. You know, he realizes it's over and he just decides to go in a different direction. Yeah. And like even the threat of Earth that that John asks about is like, well, what's the point? You know, Mm -hmm. this is not going to come to fruition. The only thing I wanted was the Scarens to die. And even taking vengeance on you would not help that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it really speaks to Scorpius's goal-oriented way of thinking, mm-hmm. you know. Our crew gets back to Moya. Kolkura has a very sad fate. John helps him into the Aurora chair and has him basically wipe away all his knowledge of wormholes. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. I always feel bad for him. But he had the choice. He decided to do that. He decided to do it on his own for the greater good. So, you know, he came around to John Crichton making friends wherever he goes. And then we have the crew kind of starting to decompress from this pretty traumatizing couple days. Jewel says she's look sounds like she's probably going to be leaving. You have Dargo starting to say goodbye to Rigel and Shiana, and Shiana, you know, Dargo asks her what she wants to do. She's like, I might find the Nabari resistance. Some of the information that Rigel traded for was knowledge of his empire, so he wants to go still get his empire back, and Dargo. You know, he got information on his wife's killer, his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And then it also ends with John and Aaron sitting silently together, and John is still writing the equations all over his body. Yeah. So next week, what do we have? We have Dog with Two Bones, which is the season three season finale. All right. We are here at the end. <laughs> So if you have any comments you want for our season three wrap up, please email them to us at FarscapeFridayPodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Tumblr and Dreamwith at Farscape Friday Podcast. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. And yeah, give us a hit us up. Let us know what you thought of this two-parter. Take care. See you next week. Bye. Bye.